Welcome into the GT Counter Podcast. My name is Tyler. Here with me, as always, my co-host, Grayson Winters. Grayson, what's going on, my guy? Oh, you know, not a whole lot, man. It's a, it's a Monday. You know, it's just another one of those days. Uh, excited to get on the podcast and, you know, get to really talk about a, a great week of, uh, of football, especially the NFL, you know, five, uh, yeah it was a it was a crazy weekend of nfl games especially we'll cover all that here off the top uh the college football weekend was a little bit less insane on the games but crazy off the field the grim reaper has come to play so we will get into that we'll get into odds and ends including a tweet from uh ryan rasillo about a vending machine challenge so excited to get into that and then a quick little top five draft on players who are retired, but uh, as the dads would say, quote, he could still play if he needed to draft. So excited to hop right into that. But uh, Grayson, let's go ahead and start with the weekend recap. What stood out from this weekend for you? You know, I think the uh, the biggest thing that stood out to me this weekend, you know, has to be the coaches' situations, which I know we will talk about. But a lot of coaches just, you know, either quote-unquote, I retire, or just ended up getting fired as a whole. So that'll be uh, something interesting to talk about on the pod. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I know that's a, a big part of our college football talk today, so I'm not going to dive too far deep into it. But, you know, we got a, we got a lot to talk about today. So that's probably my, uh, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, coaches went through the, uh, the coaches' carousel this weekend and just got booted off. Absolutely. The the coaching carousel is what makes everything fun. The once the wheels get spinning, it uh it's never ending with everybody trying to catch up to each other. So uh, my thing this weekend, and I guess this can kind of lead right into triple G here. Five NFL get this weekend. Five NFL games this weekend. There we go. English is hard. That were decided by field goals at the death with kicks right as we got to zero. First time in NFL history there's been that many game-winning field goals at the death. So really exciting to see all that. It was good for the NFL, a good weekend of drama, and uh, a good weekend of the good teams playing like good teams once again. I'm sure we'll we'll get into that here at Triple G. So uh, without any further delay, let's get right into Triple G, Gray. It's your, it's your time. Yeah, to uh, like Etzel was saying, Five games that ended by, you know, game-winning field goals. And I think there's no better time than to start off with uh, with one of those games in a 38-yarder from Matt Amendola for the Houston Texans to crush the Bengals' winning streak, 30-27. to Texans, once again, looking good, Ed. I mean, C.J. Stroud, the kid, is cooking. He goes 356 with a touchdown. And one interception in the game that truthfully was not his fault as he bounced off some hands. Um, you know, CJ Stroud just once again, we talked about it last week in the podcast. CJ Stroud just making this receiving room look like far behind their, you know, their ceiling. He's he's pressing them to a whole new level. Noah Brown goes for 172 yards on seven receptions. That's something that he could have never done in Dallas. Uh, truly, truly an impressive uh, showing back-to-back weeks for C.J. Stroud. And 
all of a sudden this guy has uh has pushed his way into the MVP conversation. So are we uh are are we buying the uh are we buying or are we selling this MVP conversation? I know that the sports books are starting to buy it. You look around and kind of sniff in there, see what's happening maybe and you know, it was crazy because uh before this weekend he was like 130 to 1 to win MVP and I know the odds haven't updated as of yet. We can get to that probably later in the week, but I'd imagine he's down like half that. He's probably 50 to 1 or better to win MVP. That's crazy for a guy who wasn't even the favorite to win offensive rookie of the year. Bijan was the offensive rookie of the year favorite and not only is Stroud going to win that, he's running away with it to the point where he's getting MVP discussion. That is, that's incredible. Did not see that coming this year. Yeah, it was, uh, it's pretty crazy to see this guy just absolutely take off out of, you know, almost nowhere after an absolutely horrible, horrible uh, preseason that he had. So it's, it's pretty impressive to say the least. Uh, I saw, just to keep on the topic of the Texans Bengals game, I saw a bet on Sports Center earlier today, a five thousand dollar four leg parlay in the NFL. Um, four legs: Houston Texans to beat the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, Bengals Texans over forty four and a half points, Texans running back Devin Singletary to score a touchdown, and Singletary to go over fifty one and a half rushing yards. And my boy cashed in one of the biggest bets in the history at five point five million dollars. Absolutely remarkable. Um, would love to have bet that if I had $500,000 to just throw away. Would be amazing, unfortunately. Not all of us live in lavish. Um, moving into our next game. You know, Lions are still rolling. Lions beat the Chargers by a field goal as well. Very late in this game. Amon Raw St. Brown still cooking. First wide receiver since Calvin Johnson to have four straight 100 plus yard games. And, you know, it's something remarkable. It's about as remarkable as getting to play him when you play excellent fantasy this week. Absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, this Lions team is still rolling seven and two, and they have a legit chance this season to compete for that one slot number one spot in the playoffs as they don't play a team with a winning record until week 16 when they get the Vikings then the Cowboys then the Vikings again uh yeah it's a it's a pretty crazy season right now for the Lions they are as a as some would say they are just absolutely taking off and exceeding everybody's expectations per se um really impressive team so far Ed do you have any uh anything big on this yeah, it's crazy. And first off, we're as we record during Monday Night Football, our fantasy football battle is still going on strong as I have the Bills kicker, uh, you have Stephon Diggs, and neither of us have done anything so far. So not doing much there. And then as far as the Lions go, I mean, incredible to see their development. You have Jared Goff, who showing that last year wasn't a fluke. Amon Ra doing the same thing. And that defense is playing pretty well yesterday notwithstanding. I also had Keenan Allen in once my league in one of my leagues, and I greatly appreciated his performance. A forty-one burger to put me over the top against the number one seed in a different league. So appreciate that. Kellen Moore stays cooking over there, but 
Yeah, these lions are for real, man. It's uh, I love Dan Campbell. He's just over there biting kneecaps and playing their brand of football and uh, wouldn't be at all surprised to see him keep it rolling. Not sure about Super Bowl. That's uh, like, you know, baby steps. Let's just win a divisional round game first. But they're a fun, fun team to watch. And really, at the end of the day, that's all we can ask for out of a Detroit football team. I completely agree. And, you know, I think we had a lot of worries about this Detroit team as they kind of decided that they were going to wake up in the offseason and just absolutely blow up their backfield, getting rid of Jamal Williams, getting rid of DeAndre Swift. And it's paid off immensely as David Montgomery has really filled a great role for them. And Gibbs looks much, much better than Swift ever looked for this Lions team. This offense is a serious problem. Defense needs some work but the offense can score on just about anybody in this league. So very impressive showing from them. And, you know, kind of something that uh, the Lions, you know, cooked up in the offseason that not very many people probably thought would uh, would turn out well for them. Moving in to our next game, we have the Browns versus the Ravens, which was an absolute, you know, what the hell kind of game. Um Browns with a crazy comeback, and Dustin Hopkins, you know, earlier in the game, yanks a PAT after a pick six, and he gets to line up for the game-winning field goal, and nothing better than to drill it right down the middle. Uh, This game was absolutely crazy, and as I mentioned last week, the Browns were missing three offensive linemen, and early on in this game was a huge problem for this uh this Browns defense. Watson was getting absolutely screamed at, playing brutally awful. And Jadavion Clowney was just in the backfield on every single play, it seemed like. Watson was two for 11, passing in the first half with a pick six. Um, and then this offense, somehow in this late in this fourth quarter, kind of just, you know, middle to third quarter, late in the fourth quarter, kind of just found their footing. I mean, Watson's 2-for-11 in the first half, finishes 20-for-34, completing his last 14 passes of the game straight without an incompletion. Uh, huge plays from David Njoku late, Elijah Moore catching a big touchdown later in this game, and Jerome Ford kind of, you know, bringing the muscle to him and sealing the deal with a big, huge six-yard run. Um, I got I got a stat to say in a second, but do you have anything on, uh, on this Browns team, Ed, before I move into uh, – how awful this Ravens team's performance has been. It just shows you how deep that division is. The NFC or the AFC North is is crazy. Like the worst team in that division is what, Pittsburgh? And they're six and three? I mean, the it's ba- crazy. Bengals. Bengals now five and four. Oh yeah, that's right. They are five and four after losing that game to the Texans yesterday, which sets up just a fascinating Thursday night football game with uh Bengals and Ravens. That's gonna be like, I know we're only at week 10 or 11 at this point, but I guess that'll be week 11. But that sort of feels like a do-or-die game for the Bengals. You you need to get that one to avoid falling even more games behind in that division. So it's crazy, man. Th- that's a really, really good division. Wouldn't be at all surprised if all four teams found a way into the playoffs. Yes, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Over the last two seasons... This Ravens team under Jim Harbaugh. No one has lost more 10-point leading games than this Ravens team. And the next closest, none other than Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. 
which is just an absolutely impressive statistic because it seems like every single week that the Raiders lose, they're up by 10 or more points at half. Um, so I just think it's just fascinating to think that this Ravens team has lost that many 10-point leading games. Um, really, really crazy. Really crazy. Uh, late in this game, uh, Humphreys and Stanley both end up getting hurt for the Ravens. These are two huge losses. It, Marlon Humphreys and Ronnie Stanley don't play against the Bengals on Thursday night. Could be very interesting. So uh, that uh, those those are two of their better players, to say the least. So that could be a that could be an ex- a big problem. Uh, like I said, this team seems to be choking a lot of games, and it's kind of worrisome. In week ten, can't seem to close out games. Playoffs are getting close, and it's getting it's getting worrisome for this team. What do you got? And it's crazy. You look, they're seven and three. Two every other week they've had games pulled off national television because they've been blowouts in their favor. If they just don't blow a lead here, I mean, you're looking at an eight and two team that's really, really under the radar. You don't see a lot of people talking about the Ravens this year, but maybe it's because they just keep blowing leads, like you said. So interesting team. I'm really excited to see Thursday. Should be an absolute banger. I completely agree. This Ravens—I mean, this Ravens team is good, but you know you can't be losing this many, uh, this many games like this. This many ga- a game where you're leading by that many points—it it can't be a loss for them. So it truly is a uh, is a bad loss for this for this team, especially a team that's trying to seal a uh, one seed in this in this AFC. So that's a that's a tough scene. Moving into the next game. Talking about how these Seahawks escaped the Commanders in a tight one. Uh, first half, absolute snooze fest. I mean, there's no offense in this game in this first half. And then these two teams decide, man, we can, we can play football. I mean, Geno Smith is getting booed coming in at half by the fans. He's struggling. He can't figure out how to find anybody. And decides that Tyler Lockett's his dude in the second half. And... Both of these teams really, you know, I say the second half, kind of really just the fourth quarter. Um, but these two teams score 27 points on the last five drives of the game in this one. And it was truly, uh, truly amazing. What, what do you got for me, Ed? Uh, so not game specific here, but uh, if you had one guess on who the NFL's leading passer was in terms of passing yards, uh, would you be guessing Sam Howell? Because if you did, you would be correct. He is number one in the NFL in passing yards. Just an insane stat. Yeah, I think I think Sam Howell has not been playing bad at all this year. Um, the problem is, is that they have an absolute brutal schedule the rest of the season. Um, this team, I think they, the Commanders have decided that Sam Howell's their dude. They went and got rid of Montez Sweat. They got rid of Chase Young. They're like, we're being picks, and we're about to build around around this guy. I think the commanders could be a serious threat in the future. Um, right now, it sucks that Sam Howell is uh, is performing as well as he is, but I don't think that there's any chance that this team has a has playoff berth whatsoever. Um, I think they're good, but I think their season's only going to go downhill from here. I mean, their schedule is brutal. They have the Cowboys. I believe do they have the Cowboys twice? I know they play the 49ers. They yeah, have Cowboys, Cowboys twice. They have the Cowboys twice. They play the Eagles again. They have the 49ers. So, you know, just brutal. 
just a brutal rest of the season. So, but yeah, uh, impressed with the way this uh, Seahawks team decided they could meld in this uh, in the second half. Have we been have we been disappointed in in DK this season? He just doesn't seem to be performing. He's underperforming severely this year. I think. Oh yeah, I mean, as a whole, the Seahawks—they're just kind of under the radar. They're not doing anything super impressive, but. Yeah, DK could absolutely do better. Some of that is on Geno, of course. Got to get him the ball in space. But, yeah, need more. Moving into our next game, you know, we have to get into Buccaneers-Titans. Um, I mean, what do we say? Buccaneers break their four-game losing streak, and Tampa Bay fans are crying that Baker Mayfield isn't the dude. I mean, Baker Mayfield is genuinely the best part of this team offensively at the moment. He played great last week against Houston before C.J. Stroud crushed his dreams. Baker would have thrown for an absolute million yards on Sunday if Mike Evans could put two and two together and catch the ball instead of beating coolers down on the sidelines. Um, yeah, it's it's brutal for Bake. Um, Tampa fans are crying, and Baker Mayfield's basically doing everything he can do to carry this team to uh, to a couple of wins. So. Feels bad for Baker Mayfield, but I'm glad that he's finally found a a better team fit than he's found in the past. You know, glad that he got the ball to Mike Evans a little bit yesterday. Been kind of disappointed with him to start the year, just looking for a little bit more production. But uh, he w- he went off yesterday over 100 yards and a touchdown. So good to see that big plays are finally back in that Buccaneers offense. I agree, and they need it. They need it. They got a lot of season left, and. Uh, this is a very winnable division for the Buccaneers. They're they're still in this game, 100% still in this game. Uh, to talk about the Titans, you know, I think the Titans have kind of hit a ceiling this year. Offensively, I love Will Levis, but he has no weapons, and they can't seem to put together a run game because this offensive line is just miserable up front. You know, the best thing to have for a rookie quarterback that's coming in is you have a tight end that's reliable, and you have a run game. And, yeah, the Titans don't have either. They don't have either one of these. And the Bucks kind of exploited this the whole entire game. They blitzed on every single play, brought the house, kind of made Will Levis uncomfortable, and that gives you six points. I mean, there's not much that Titans can do, and Titans fans, it's probably time to, uh, to hope, that, uh, hope that we can figure something out. I mean, what there's there's not much you can do. You should have traded Derrick Henry when you had the chance, and now you're sitting here and you're like, Derrick Henry's not performing anyways. Why is he on the team? Um, yeah, it's not a good uh, good day to be a to be a Titans fan. Not a good season to be a Titans fan, and you're we're in, they're in trouble. Plain and simple. Derrick Henry's about to be past his prime, and nobody wants to buy him especially after having a bad season like this. It was time to sell him last year, plain and simple. So, tough scene for uh, for the Titans. Hate to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And I got some uh, crazy stats on this Pittsburgh-Green Bay game. Uh, another Pittsburgh win where they show absolutely nothing all game long and miraculously score, get a stop, and win the game. Packers offense looks much better than they've looked, you know, previously, which really isn't saying much because they've looked genuinely horrid this season. 
Um, this is probably one of the craziest stat lines that you might hear. The Steelers are six and three, and they've been outgained offensively nine straight weeks in a row, and they are six and three. I don't know if this is something to say. Well, the Steelers, we have a chance if Kenny Pickett decides that he's going to get this offense rolling, or if this is something that we need to look at and be like, this team should not be a winning football team. What do you think, Ed? This team should absolutely not be a winning football team. This is 100% Mike Tomlin voodoo, which is why like preseason we were doing the pods and we said, yeah, Mike Tomlin at 20 to one, not bad for coach of the year. It's because of this. It's voodoo. You should not be winning football games. You have not outgained a single opponent this entire year. And you're six and three. It's ridiculous that it's, it's culture. It's a whole lot of luck and it's voodoo. So, I mean, I don't know how, how much longer that can continue, but an incredible stat. Nonetheless, I, I completely agree. It's a, it's, it's something that uh, I don't know if I've ever seen in football before, a team that has, you know, performing that poorly on offense, they're getting outgained every week and they're still winning. It's, uh, it is truly remarkable. Moving in to our next game, 49ers versus the Jaguars. And, you know, everybody was, the 49ers suck, they're overrated, they don't have a good roster, there's no way this team will win the Super Bowl. Yeah, look what happens when Debo Samuels and Trent Williams come back. The losing streak is over. The winning streak for the Jags is over. Brock Purdy played great in this game. And this 49ers defense is truly, absolutely terrifying with Chase Young rushing off the left edge. You can't double-team both of them, baby. This is a wrap for the 49ers. I mean, who is going to beat them? I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry. I know you, you're a Cowboys fan. Who could beat the 49ers? I mean, we saw three teams in a row beat them, so there's that part of it. But yeah, when they're healthy and playing well, it's hard for them to lose. Their their defense is at such a high level where you really don't even need Purdy to make a bunch of mistakes. You can just afford for him to go, you know, drive the bus with the the weapons that they have offensively. So it was great to see Debo back. Uh, that adds a whole different element. McCaffrey didn't score for the first time in 18 games and they won by 31. So if that tells you anything about where they are as a team, uh, they're going to be pretty good coming down the stretch. It's, you know, the NFC is so top heavy with Philly, who has been themselves getting by on a whole lot of voodoo this year at eight and one. Then you have the Niners and Dallas. Like those are three of the five best teams in the NFL. And there's a decent chance that one of them is knocked out by the divisional round and I mean, only one of them can make the uh, can make the Super Bowl out of this side. So that 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 is common sense. That's very Trent Dilfer. Uh, you can't lose games in the NFL and still win. So only one of them is going to end up being happy by the time the year ends, and uh, it'll be an interesting race. Yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, moving into this next game, you know, I said that there's not a team that's going to be able to compete with this 49ers team, and you know. I might stand corrected as the Vikings kind of trounce the Saints. And I know this is only an eight-point win on the scoreboard. Truthfully, it was not even that close. This Saints team scored eight points 
very late in this game. This Vikings defense is looking really impressive over the stretch. And Josh Dobbs is the truth. I mean, 268 yards, a touchdown in the air, touchdown on the ground. The Astro scientist is in a different league of his own right now. Uh, five touchdowns by himself through two games is very, very impressive. Um, Alexander Madison gets hurt in this game. Don't think it really makes that much of a difference as the run game is about nothing as it is already. And this is a team that if you get Justin Jefferson back, if you get K.J. Osborne back, that can truly come out and dominate any defense they play against. Um, yeah, very scary Vikings team. What do you got for me, Ed? You know, it was funny. I was talking to our guy, Reed, who's, of course, a Vikings fan. I was like, you know, at this point, do they rather extend Dobbs than extend Kirk coming off an ace, coming off an Achilles? Like, that, it's crazy that that might even be a hypothetical question. I, I mean, I mean, why not? Why not extend Dobbs? He looks, I mean, fantastic. I guess there's a lot of telltale still down the road. I mean, he's still got a lot of games left to play this season. Um, but yeah, he has truly looked fantastic in this offense. He looks like he was an easy mold, like just a perfect fit. It's very, it reminds me of that Case Keenum heater that he went on a couple years ago when the Vikings went to the NFC Championship game. It's very reminiscent of like the, the holy crap, this is the one-year heater that like gets you paid. It might be that for Dobbs. Hopefully it's more, but we've seen this story before from a Vikings QB, but while you're in it, man, it's like, remember Jeremy Lin when he was going off of the Knicks, like the Lin Sanity type deal? Like that's we're approaching Lin Sanity territory. Hey, I'm just saying if we get if we get a Vikings versus Texans matchup in the Super Bowl, the NFL is rigged. I don't care what anybody says, it's rigged. You put these two quarterbacks against each other in a Super Bowl game, and it is plain and simple rigged. There's I will stop watching the NFL. Plain and simple. Uh, moving into our next game, kind of a quick little hitter right here on these next two games. Uh, Falcons versus the Cardinals. Kyler Murray is back, and the Cardinals record a win. Falcons finally feed Bijan Robinson the ball, and co-figure they can score, too. I mean, almost 100 yards, give him 22 touches on the ground. We love to see it from the Bijan fans. Final game for us, Jets versus Raiders. Raiders are 2-0 now that Josh McDaniels has been fired. And it's only by the grace of God. The Jets suck. Robert Sala is losing his mind, saying he thinks Zach Wilson is doing fine. I mean, hey, Robert, Josh Dobbs has played two games with the Vikings and has five touchdowns. That's how many Zach Wilson has in all of 2023. Get your head out of the toilet. Get your mind right. It makes no sense what you're doing. Say you want to tank and then we will all be respectful of your decisions. But until then, stop backing up with dog water quarterback. That's not worth the hot Charmin Ultrasoft wipes his ass with. Okay, it's plain and simple. Uh, it's like it's like they uh, are afraid of, like, you know, doing something to piss Rodgers off. It's like, who says that, like, bringing in a quarterback to fill the gap is a bad thing for Rodgers? Like, it's insane. Like, they're holding out this ginormous hope that, He's going to do something superhuman and come back quicker than anybody ever has from an Achilles. Like, 
it's just insane to think about that. Like the thought of Rodgers maybe coming back has stopped them from going out and getting a better quarterback to help them win. Now it's crazy. Yeah. I, I don't understand it either. And if Rodgers was capable of coming back in the playoffs, why don't you take a shot at a Josh Dobbs that went over to the Vikings? I mean, you have the roster to win the Super Bowl now. Why would you not want him? It, it, it really is mind blowing. You take big shots to go pick up Dalvin Cooks. You pick up all these weapons to play this season, and then you're like, well, Rodgers gets hurt first game of the season. We're throwing in the towel. So, I don't know. It's uh, it's bad coaching. It's bad general managing. Um, it's all around bad to lose to the Raiders. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it. That is that is for sure. We will take it. And uh, I know it's hard to believe, but we're 5-5 five and five right now, and it's only by the grace of God. <laughs> that is, uh, that's everything I got on Triple G for the day. After this, we'll get into uh, a hot-slated uh, college football weekend as well as the Green Reaper comes out in the uh, – in the coach's carousel. All of this and more after the break. This episode of the GT Counter Podcast is presented by Zencaster, the all-in-one solution making podcasting easy. Zencaster provides high-quality audio and video recording, production, and hosting right for everyone's individual podcasting needs. Being a creator has never been easier. Just look at us. We started using Zencaster because we were a couple of dudes who like to talk about sports, entertainment, and the goings-on of life. With the help of Zencaster, we've been able to get our thoughts produced and transmitted at the highest quality to you, the listeners. It's super easy to get started. All you need is the internet, and you too can create high-quality podcasts in no time. The best part is that this is all-in-one if you choose. You can record, produce, and transmit your podcast to all major podcast platforms all in one stop using Zencaster's easily accessible dashboard from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. All you need to do is go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code GT for a generous 30% off your first month of any paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences that we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. All right, Greg, coming back. It's time to talk some college football from this weekend. Main takeaway, so the top eight teams in the college football playoff ranking survived the weekend unscathed, went a perfect 8-0. But I think we can divide these teams into probably three tiers. Um, let's start with the, the dominant side. We have Georgia just destroying Ole Miss, Ohio State beating the corpse of Michigan State, and Alabama dominating Kentucky on the road. Of those three wins, which stood out most to you? You know, obviously the Georgia win is a really good win. Um, I do. I said in the podcast on Thursday, Ole Miss is fraud. Um, I don't think they're really that great of a team. And Georgia, once again, shows up in a big-time game, in a big-time way. And Georgia gets to play another team in Tennessee this upcoming week. And why the hell they are ranked at the 22 spot in the polls is mind-blowing um but yeah georgia gets to play another ranked team this week it's probably devastate another ranked team this week they're georgia we're not surprised brock bauer still isn't playing and they are significantly dominant and they got a couple of players back a couple first round picks back 
this past week, and yeah, they're a scary team. Nothing that we didn't expect. Yeah, Bowers was able to come back a little bit. He was on a pitch count, so didn't see a ton of him, but he did score at the end of the game, so that was good to see. And I know Kirby talked about it after the game about how, you know, some of the the agents of the world were reaching out to him and be like, you know, hey, save yourself and don't risk it and make it worse. And, you know, the whole everybody doubted him and he came out and they proved everybody wrong. You know, anything to make your team sound like an underdog. So, but impressive win nonetheless against a quality Ole Miss team. Different class, though. I think we can all we could all see that on the field. I will take this Bama win. Just incredible dominance on the road. And not only was I uh, wrong in my in being on Kentucky plus the 11 there, but it wasn't even close. Bama just whipped them from start to finish with no questions asked. An incredible, incredible beating between Jalen Milrow just absolutely cooking both with his legs and through the air. I mean, the only question in this game was how big did they want the turnover margin to be? And so it was it was incredible. Winning by 28 on the road, hostile environment, sleepy spot to 11 a.m. kickoff. That game said a lot about, to me, where this Alabama program is mentally. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I found it, you know, I think the biggest thing about this Bama team right now is that we knew their defense was dominant. We saw that their defense was really good when they played Texas. And the biggest difference right now is that this offense has finally dialed itself in, you know, kind of found its its identity per se. And Tommy Reese is getting comfortable at this OC spot right now. They are a night and day different offense than they were when they played the Longhorns on September 9th. They are a much better team offensively right now. And they are a team that I legitimately think could give Georgia a very tough game in the SEC championship. So, yeah, like you said, this Bama team has been dominant. Wouldn't it be at all shocking if they won that game? I mean, just the way they're playing right now, the the dudes that they have up front and on that defense, yeah, they're absolutely live to win an SEC championship this year, which is crazy. After that USF game, it's like we never thought this team would amount to anything, and here they are. Yeah, they're they're here, boys. They are here. And then we've got the four teams who just kind of got by and survived this weekend. We have Washington over Utah, Oregon over USC, Texas over TCU, and Florida State over Miami. Now, Texas was on the road in this one. The other three teams were at home. Uh, They all kind of won one-score games. Oregon was nine, but USC missed a two-point conversion to make it seven there with about five minutes left. So that game was even still pretty close coming down the stretch. Uh, Any takeaways from this one, good, bad, or indifferent, about either Washington, Oregon, Texas, or Florida State? You know, let's let's probably start off with Texas a little bit here. Quinn Ewers was back, and this kind of got the passing game alive for the Longhorns. I think the biggest takeaway in this game is Jonathan Brooks, knee injury uh, for the season. Absolute tough scene. Probably the biggest performer on this offense and on this whole entire roster so far this season. However, C.J. Baxter is going to come in. He's going to be the starter. This offensive line is mean up front, and they are going to make him look like a superstar. I am sure of it. Um, however, this Texas team has continued to struggle 
week in and week out ever since the uh, the OU game. And, you know, I'm scared this weekend for uh, for Texas to go to Iowa State in a trap game. So, uh, yeah, a little bit scary for the, uh, for the Horns. Saturday night in Ames is never a fun spot to be in, especially when you're a ranked team trying to make the playoffs. So going to be a nervous one this weekend. And it's good that they have these 20-point leads. They've had 20-point leads in four straight games. It's just that they've nearly melted them away in three of them. I mean, K-State took them to overtime, and then the other two got within a touchdown, and this one got three points. So it's crazy. I mean, you'd rather, of course, have the 20-point lead than not. But not being able to finish these games is definitely a bit concerning. Quinn being back is definitely a good sign, so excited to see that give the passing game a little bit of juice. Um, my game that I want to talk about here is Florida State, who was only able to sneak by Miami 27-20. to Just the vibes on this Florida State team are not very good. Jordan Travis was okay in this game. He's been pretty good throughout the year, but you'd expect more. Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson were back from injury as well, but to only muster 27 points against this Miami defense is concerning. I've been concerned about this FSU team all year. They haven't been, given the level of competition they've played, you'd expect them to do a little bit more than what they have. And they just haven't been able to get it done. So I I know we were talking about this a little bit off camera. It's time to start the undefeated Florida State team does not deserve to be in the playoff. Like, full stop. They have not played the level of competition to warrant being in the playoff, and they haven't dominated the games that they should have. It's They should have lost to Clemson, first off. Then they let Miami with a backup quarterback play him close. They were tied with Pitt for the longest time in that game. Just, like, come on, man. Show, a little, show yourself a little bit of pride and go dominate these teams. Yeah. They played Duke to the whistle without uh, when Riley Leonard was in, and then, you know, Riley Leonard comes out of the game and they kind of just take away in that one. Yeah, this Florida State team is not impressive at all. Um, you know, you want to be impressed by Keon Coleman because he's looked good in a couple of games. He isn't anywhere near the caliber of Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, people are trying to compare him to him. Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. can run every route in the route tree. This guy can run fade, slant, and screen. I mean, it's it's not even close to being the same caliber of receiver by any means. This Florida State team is fortunate that they get to play in the ACC and haven't really played anybody all season. Um, Louisville's knocking on the door, and they're going to see you in a couple of weeks in the ACC championship. And I think that's a telltale sign of whether if Florida State comes out, blows out Louisville, put them in. When Louisville beats Florida State, if Florida State's still undefeated by then because they have to go play Florida still, um, yeah, I would not want to be Florida State having to go out and play Florida and then turn around and have to play the ACC championship against a very, very good Louisville team who's jumped into the top 10 now. So, yeah, I'd be a little bit scared for this Florida State team. Yeah, I agree. And um, worry level on Oregon, not too high. Washington in the grand scheme of things, I'm not too worried about. Although I will say this week at Oregon State, uh, Oregon State opened as like a two-point underdog, and they've already flipped to being a favorite at home. So uh, I kind of called this on our recap pod or our uh, 
Thursday pod, I kind of was like, hey, that that trip to Oregon State is concerning. And uh, sure enough, now Washington is underdogs on the road. So might see a loss here this week, which would set up a winner take all Pac-12 championship game. And, uh, you know, the Pac-12 has yet another chance to cannibalize itself over the last two weeks. Both Oregon and Washington have to play Oregon State. So the Beavers could just throw a wrench into everything here and say, you know what? On your way out of the conference, hold this L. Yeah, it's uh, it's worrying me. Washington's defense seems to be getting worse every single week that they play. And it's not good for Washington right now. Penix is still looking great. He threw for 332 yards, two touchdowns. But like you said, this absolute gauntlet of a conference, I think, is starting to wear on this Washington team. They're getting banged up. They're getting beat up. And they do not seem to have the same fight that they had when they played Oregon originally. I will say that getting that pick six and celebrating a tad bit too early cost me my spread this weekend at nine and a half points. You absolutely hate to see it because I would have had a perfect weekend on that parlay with the Georgia game if uh, if the guy would have just walked into the end zone with the ball like a proper young man. Um, really disappointing there. Really disappointing. How are we still doing this? We all saw Deshaun Jackson do this a while back. Like, watch the film and learn from it. This is a known thing. Carry the ball through the end zone. It's not that hard. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a difficult thing. It's not even cool to drop the ball at the... I don't understand it. It's not cool to drop the ball at the front of the end zone by the pylon. Walk the ball into the end zone. Hand it to the ref. Celebrate with your buddies, because I know an offensive lineman wants to rocket ship you over in the corner. And walk back to the sideline and hang out over there. You just scored a touchdown. You're on live TV, big man. Congrats. It's it's unbelievable. It it, it really is devastating. Um, cost me another. I, I was on about to be on a three perfect weekend bender right now. It just absolutely cost me. So brutal stuff, truly. Um, speaking of brutal stuff, let's go to State College, Pennsylvania, Gray, where Michigan defeated Penn State twenty four to fifteen. Uh, this game caused a grim reaper, but we will get to that here in a moment. The story from this one, number one, Jim Harbaugh suspended. Didn't matter. They won. Secondly, Michigan threw zero forward passes in the second half, 32 straight runs to end the game, and they won. They turned into a service academy in the second half with all the run plays, zero like creativity offensively. They just said, you know what? Our guys are better than yours. Your quarterback can't beat us, so we're not going to put the ball in harm's way. And they went out there, they ran the ball down Penn State's throat, and they won. Now, is that an indictment of Penn State's offense more than it is their defense? Absolutely. You hold a Michigan team who's averaging 40 a game to 24? Like, you should win that game. But Penn State's offense is so, so bad. They don't trust their quarterback to do anything, which leads to this. And James Franklin needs to look in the mirror, man. When he went for two at the end of the first half, when he was down 14 to nine after they scored a touchdown, just insanity, kick the field goal. And then you don't have to worry about going for two in the fourth quarter. So when you don't get it there, then you're still down two scores when you're trying to come back. Insanity. Don't chase points when you don't have to just small game, small game, James, he strikes again. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Watching this game. I think you probably do worry about this Michigan passing offense. It is very skeptical at best. But 
when you don't need to throw the ball, you don't throw the ball. And Michigan is so dominant that they could put six or seven offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage and run the ball at absolute will. Um, and I think the most important, uh, the most impressive part about being able to run the ball at will is running it against this defensive box of Penn State, probably top three defensive front six in the country. Um, and Happy Valley, I mean, this is a great win for Michigan. No matter what the media says, no matter what they say about Michigan can't throw the ball, whatever, who cares? When you have an absolute dominancy like this, an absolutely dominant defense and an absolute dominant offensive line, why wouldn't you run the ball every single play? It only makes sense. So. Yeah, I will say I don't think they can get away with this against Ohio State. They Ohio State, I'm not in love with their offense by any means, but it is leaps and bounds better than that Penn State disaster that was on the field yesterday. And I think Penn State or Ohio State's defense is probably just as good as Penn State's. Um, I could easily see Ohio State winning, beating Michigan. Yeah, I mean, it all comes back to the quarterback with them. The rest of their position groups are great. It's just that the quarterback, McCord, I I don't think he's the guy, but we'll find out in due time, that's for sure. Uh, Speaking of, let's get to our GT Counter Top 5 ranking for this week. Uh, We talked about this a little bit off the air. Uh, Last week we had Florida State at 5, Washington at 4, We had Michigan at three, Ohio State at two, and Georgia at one. I think our only change here is going to be flipping Michigan and Ohio State just off that win. You agree? Yeah, I think it's a more dominating win than what Ohio State posted against Penn State. Um, So, yeah, I totally agree. I think Michigan should be in the two slot. And uh, I would like to officially put Washington on watch this week, and I am preemptively putting Oregon on watch next week against Oregon State. Uh, the things get weird in the uh, the the game formerly known as the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State. Just keep your eyes peeled. Upset City could be incoming to Eugene. So uh, coming up next, let's go ahead and talk some Grim Reaper. We have to get the pitchforks and death out for several college coaches on what turned out to be a busy Monday. Um, so that and more will be coming up next. All right, Greg, coming back, it is time to talk some firings. First and foremost, in the biggest news of the weekend, Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher. After this is his sixth full season as Texas A&M head coach, had a worse winning percentage than Kevin Sumlin did, which if you were able to take odds on that before Jimbo was hired, uh, not sure that you would have guessed that he would have won fewer games and had a worse winning percentage than Kevin Sumlin. So crazy there. I just want to ask you, what kind of went wrong here? I mean, 45 and 25, just one good year, the COVID year, which is widely regarded as an outlier. Like, what happened? You know, Jimbo's always been a great recruiter. He always has been a great recruiter. He recruited great at Texas A&M. His scheme sucks. I mean, it's terrible. He's just not a good scheme coach and not a very good development coach either. I mean, when he was at Florida State, he got all these five stars all the time that would come in and just dominate for him. And then you go to Texas A&M, and you're not stealing five stars from Bama. You're not stealing five stars from Georgia. It's just not happening. I mean, he's a good recruiter. 
the portals kind of even made his situations worse, I probably would guess. Um, but yeah, in order to be competitive in this league, you're not going to out-recruit Bama and Georgia. You just have to have a scheme that's going to steal wins. I mean, you have to out-scheme Nick Saban. It's just not going to happen recruiting-wise. And that's all Jimbo's ever been good at. He's a good recruiter. He'd be a really, really good coach at a G5 school, probably. Get some good recruits there. But he's not going to be He's not going to be able to scheme with these teams in the, in the SEC. He's just not a good scheme fit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does, do you think he takes a year off, or do we see him – First off, do we see him landing a spot in a Big 12 school like West Virginia, or do we think he's going to uh, – his football career and coaching's over and he could uh, go broadcast an SEC game 10 times a year? Well, I can tell you if his buyout gets reduced, if he gets hired by another school, we are going to see that guy on TV for the next 10 years while he gets his buyout done. But I don't think he's done coaching – but it's crazy. You know, he hasn't really been that good of a coach outside of the the uh, the Jameis years where Jameis fell into his lap and they were able to get in the money booth and win a national title while he was there. And then the COVID year. Other than that, he's been seven to nine wins. Like, that's just who he is. AM's going to probably go seven and five again this year. And it's like, you know, what, what else do you expect from the guy? Unless he has a generational quarterback talent, like, the guy just hasn't won. So it's, I'm glad that for my AM friend's sake, I'm glad they made the move. Not addressing the problem would be worse than like actually leaving the problem there just due to money. Like you're going to pay him the money either way. It's either salary or buyout. So at least buy him out and try to fix the problem. So I can respect that, but you know, just not the right guy for the job. And it took them six years and a contract extension to figure that out, but they finally figured it out. And so now they can move on a little bit. Um, as far as where AM can go from here, some interesting names have been floated around in the old coaching circles, everywhere from Dan Lanning at Oregon to Cliff Kingsbury, who's now an assistant at uh, USC You've had potentially even a guy like Jeff Trailer, who's at uh, UTSA, and all he's done since he's gotten there is win. He also has an outstanding relationships with the Texas high school football coaches. He regularly attends the like the coaching schools and all the clinics and things like that. So, if you want a guy with relationships around the state of Texas who can recruit, that might be your guy. Another name to consider, Lane Kiffin is the hot name kind of around the block at the moment, especially after their loss on Saturday to Georgia. Maybe Lane's starting to realize, like, you know what? I can't get the recruits here. I can go to College Station, get thrown so much money, so much NIL, and if you can harness it, you can literally become a machine. But of some of the names that have been floated around, um, who would you like to see be the next head coach at Texas A&M? You know, I saw two names, and I know we talked about them a little bit at the uh, before the show started. Um, saw a little, saw Mike Elko was one of the coaches that could potentially go there. You know, I, I'm just not sold with a lot of people wanting. To, I know that this Texas A&M job has a ton of money, but the boosters are a serious problem that you're gonna have to deal with. It's a big deal going over to take this job with money comes 
great problems at this program. Um, but yes, I've seen Mike Elko as one of the coaches, and you know, if he comes over there, that could be a serious problem. He's a great coach, has done great stuff at Duke so far. And I also saw, and I think that this one is an extreme stretch, um, Dan Campbell, coming from the head coach of the Lions, coming to A&M, you know, he's probably going to get a fat paycheck from these guys. Went to A&M, former A&M alum, huge A&M fan. Think it's a stretch, but if it happens, I mean, why not? I don't know why he would ever want to leave the uh, with the Lions with how well they're playing this year, but it's a, it's a stretch, that's for sure. You typically don't walk away from NFL jobs. Those are so hard to get, and uh, yeah, that would be – I would put the odds at like 1,000 to 1 that he's the next A&M coach. You don't, you don't walk away from NFL jobs. I agree. I agree. I did see floated around potentially Deion Sanders, and let me just put this out there. Texas A&M and their boosters would rather leave the head coaching job vacant for the next five years than hire Dion. Just, just putting it out there. Dion is not going to be the next head football coach at Texas A&M. Could you imagine though? I mean, his recruiting job over there would be, he would have the dudes to play. He would be fired within five minutes with the boosters there. Those boosters are ridiculous. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. So but he's going to bring in his dudes. He's bringing in his Louie, but unfortunately the Louie is going to get caught by passport control on the way in. <laughs> so, um, the other th- interesting thing. So with the coach being fired, the transfer portal opens up for 30 days for anybody on the roster to enter freely, come and go as they please. Um, Texas A&M, their roster has a ton of talent. Um, just a couple of names to watch here. Connor Wigman, the quarterback. He's been injured this year. Um, hasn't really played a ton since that Arkansas game and the game after it where he got hurt. Be interested to see if he sticks around. Um, he was one of kind of Jimbo's guys. He's been there for two or three years now. Be interested to see if he leaves. Another one, Evan Stewart. Widely known that he's been, you know, he's boys with Xavier Worthy from Texas. They all kind of have a relationship around here. Be interested to see if he tries to dip his name in the portal. He'd be highly recruited. Uh, Moose Muhammad, who's a speedster receiver, uh, be interested to see if he jumps in. And then, of course, we saw their D-line in person, Gray. They got some size and they got some speed over on that side of the ball. So we'll be very interested to see how many names hop in the portal from AM. Yeah, Notre Dame needs a receiver bad. Then uh, let's move to our next firing. The aforementioned Penn State, James Franklin, doing business as small game James has fired uh, their offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich. Um, This is more of an indictment on James Franklin, in my opinion. So Yersich, when he was hired three years ago, was widely regarded as a home run hire. He was uh, OC at several different places. His offense has put up huge numbers, like 35 plus points per game. Gets to Penn State, gets neutered by James Franklin, who, of course, his background was as an OC and a wide receivers coach back at Vandy back in the day. So this is an indictment on James Franklin. You got to figure out what you're doing on the offensive side of the ball. Are you going to let your coaches have the control that they need? Like when Joe Moorhead was there, the Saquon years, 2016, 2017, when they had top 10 offenses, 
Or are you going to try to run the show with your big old ego for your small game wins? And uh, like, there's just a ceiling there. When James Franklin is in control of this team too much, the max you can do is 10 games. We've seen that year after year. You're a solid third place team. You're not enough to be with the big boys in the Big Ten. So if that's good enough for James Franklin, then he's going to do what he does. But I kind of think that he realizes that he needs to do something here to figure it out to get back on track. So wouldn't be surprised if they make a splashy hire here. But what do you think about this Penn State opening? I mean, this year they were 102nd in yards per play and outside the top 120 in plays of 20-plus yards. Just no explosiveness whatsoever. Yeah, well, James Franklin's been through six OCs underneath him. Uh, To his defense, two left to go take other head coaching jobs. But still, this has been a a tough spot to fill at Penn State as of late, and this offense needs to make major changes. They're not good enough to win these big-time games. And with this conference realignment happening, I think that this is the time for them. If they have the money to get somebody, change needs to happen in order for them to have a good track record with this new realignment. So I think that uh, it's it's now or never for uh, for Penn State's offense. Go go make a little shake. Go get somebody big. Um, yeah, they need they need it badly. Yeah, they do. They need they need something desperately. A little spark, something to just get them going. Find yourself the youngest, kind of hottest offensive coordinator name out there who's not ready to be a head coach. Bring them in. Like you need some creativity in that building. So hopefully for their sake that they'll they will do that. Speaking of somebody who needs some creativity, Mississippi State fired Zach Arnett less than one year after he took over for Mike Leach, the late great pirate Mike Leach. Um, he took over a team that was built to run the air raid and turned them into a ground and pound team. And it went just as well as you would imagine when you conflict those styles together. So, um, either they needed to change the way they recruited their roster, get in the portal and get some guys that were ready to run the football or the coach needed to do better about adjusting to his system and, and, uh, catering to the players who are on the roster. I mean, you got Will Rogers at quarterback and that dude threw for, I don't know. He threw it 50 times a game last year. And then this year he throws like 22 times a game. It's ridiculous. It's coaching malpractice in my opinion. So a change was probably warranted there. Be interested to see some names here. Could see kind of an out of left field one going with a young option, or maybe with it being an sec hire, maybe they look for some more established names. Uh, I hear Jimbo Fisher is looking for a new job. If, uh, if they're interested in that one, but I know Mississippi State isn't like a top, top tier job, but we've seen them win and win big in the past. So going to be an interesting hire. Yeah, this is a good money job. I mean, Mississippi State has some cash to hand out to a head coach that wants to come in and play or coach for them. Um, I think the problem here is that, and I said this a little bit about Texas A&M as well, Mississippi State just cannot recruit with these bigger SEC schools. They're probably one of the lowest recruiting SEC schools in you know the whole entire conference. Mississippi State needs to bring in a coach that runs a scheme that you're not going to see more than once a year. You need to bring in a guy like Mike Leach was, where you only see that scheme once a year. The Mississippi State needs to have a unique, difficult offense basically to steal wins in this conference. An offense that nobody else is going to see, that's how they get bowl eligible. 
this is not a playoff team right now. They need to worry about bowl eligibility. Um, get a coach that comes in and runs something that these other, like I said, that's something that these other teams aren't going to see. Like you run the air raid like Mike Leach runs. You go five wide on every single play. You throw the ball 800 times a game. I mean, you got to have something. This coach in Zach Arnett is Will Muschamp 2.0, except for, uh, you know, he just made his defense worse when he came in, which is just remarkable because it was really tough to make that defense any worse than it was last year. So, yeah, time to uh, out with the old, in with hopefully somebody that has a unique skill. I agree. Like, get weird. Go run the power read offense. Go run the triple option. Like, go do something. We haven't seen a good, like, power five triple option team in a long time. Like, go get weird. I mean, just throw everybody off on your schedule. Go take Air Force's coach. Go take UNLV's coach. Go take somebody weird. That's just going to really just mess up the scheme right now. Speaking of UNLV, Brennan Marion is their offensive coordinator. This kind of fills into our next option here with Boise firing head coach Andy Avalos. Brennan Marion is going to get one of these jobs. He runs the go-go offense. Their pace, their space, their speed. They run tempo. And they are absolutely cooking at UNLV. Just one loss this year to Michigan, nonetheless. So I think that they need to fire him up for a head coaching job. Wouldn't be at all surprised if he gets the Boise job, actually. This Boise job is interesting. Like, bef- I remember in way back when Chris Peterson was the head coach. Remember, like, the, the Statue of Liberty and the, oh, yeah. the hook and ladder against OU? Like, that was Chris Peterson. He went on to coach at Washington for the longest time. Like, th- this job is typically a springboard to get somewhere in the Power Five. So a young guy who hasn't done it before at the highest level, Boise is a perfect spot to do it because you're still high-level football, less expectations. The Mountain West is fun. But you can go just try some truly crazy stuff. So I'd like to see Brennan Marion there or another one to keep an eye on. I know his name. He's from around where I'm from. Scotty Walden is the head coach at Austin P. They averaged over 30 points a game this year. He's one of the youngest coaches in Division I football head coach. Under, I think he's under like 35. He's like 32 years old or something. He's been one of like the, the Forbes under 40 list coaches for like six years now, ever since he recruited me out of college when he was back at East Texas Baptist way back when. So keep an eye on him. That dude's going to get his chance to be a high-level D1 coach here soon. Maybe not going to be Boise, but it's going to be soon. So interested to see that. I agree. I think that uh, as you talked about the UN, as we talked about UNLV, I think that UNLV right now is getting coaches fired or quote unquote retiring left and right. Um, San Diego State's coach, Brady Hoke, decided that he was quote unquote retiring as they are a very, very bad team this year. So it doesn't surprise me that after a win that Andy Avalos gets fired at Boise State as this will be the third year in a row that this team has not won a conference. And this is a team that wants to win the conference championship. Boise State fans, when it comes down to a coach they want, they are praying for Kellen Moore. Bring the guy back, back to Boise, take him into a head coaching spot at his alma mater, and let the guy ride. That's the pipe dream. If if you can just prime away from Justin Herbert, I'm not sure why you'd want to leave that job, but... If he ever did want to, Boise probably has the best chance of anybody. 
Well, good stuff there, Gray. I think that is enough of the Grin Reaper death segment for today. We'll, we will probably revisit here in a couple weeks after Rivalry Weekend. I can imagine we will expect a whole lot of death going on in college football with the coaches. This The carousel is just getting started, and I can't wait to see where it all leads up. So coming up next, let's get an odds and ends where we have to take on this vending machine challenge, courtesy of our good friends at the Ryan Rosillo podcast. And then we will do a top five draft of players who are retired, but, you know, the quote unquote dad quote of, but he could still play today if he needed to draft. So that more shenanigans will be coming up next. All right, Grayson, we got to hit this. Anytime a food challenge comes across the timeline, you know, we got to bring it up on the pod. This courtesy of Ryan Rosillo at Ryan A. Rosillo on Twitter And he says, for those curious about the vending machine challenge mentioned on his podcast and life advice, which was you have to eat the contents of this vending machine. All items in the picture, which, again, I will uh, post the tweet in the show notes so you can go view this on Twitter. But just so you can kind of get a visual representation, we've got like two or three bags of potato chips, two or three bags of Doritos. Bag of Cheez-Its, bag of pretzels, bag of Cheetos, bag of Fritos, three things of crackers, a Rice Krispie treat, like three or four bags of M&Ms, three or four candy bars, three protein bars, three bags of peanuts, fruit snacks. You got some Fig Newtons back there, uh, a grandma's cookie, and then some Starburst back there in the corner. So uh, one of the commenters added the total up and it is right at about 6,000 calories that you'd have to consume across an eight hour shift. And the prize winner was $1,700 if you could get this done. So I've just thought I got to ask you, Grayson, is this challenge doable to get done in an eight hour time span at work? You give me eight beers after the, uh, before the bars close and drive me home and this can get done in an hour. I'd almost guarantee it. Um, yeah, I would, uh, I would annihilate this challenge. I think my biggest things that I would struggle with are pretzels would be an issue for me. Not that I dislike pretzels, but I feel like they're going to be one of those things that I'm not going to want to eat. Like they're going to, you know, they're not going to hit that well. Um, and then, you know, I'm, we talked about this a little bit before the cheese filled crackers have got to be one of the most disgusting snack choices of all time. If you like cheese in the middle of your crackers, you are gross. Um, the processed cheese is disgusting. Who likes flaky cheese? I mean, God, God. I can't get behind it. I can't get behind you. Um, yeah, peanut butter crackers for the win all the way. So, yeah, I really think that uh, realistically I could eat this in an eight-hour shift, 100%. Um, that, that bottom left corner is tough. You've got the three bags of, of crackers. Also, three bags of peanuts and three protein bars. That's it's a lot of carbs, a lot of protein, a lot of heavy stuff. You got some peanut butter mixed in there. Like, I don't know. I feel like that would fill me up a little bit. Kind of like, you know, the the rolls at Texas Roadhouse. If you eat too many of them, you just can't eat the rest of your meal. Like, I feel like eating those starting off would be a, a tough way to attack the challenge. Yeah, I think the way to attack this is that you just get so there's there's Roughly um, 10 bags of chips, and then you got a bag of pretzels and two bags of cheeses. 
I think those are the attack modes. You put those on attack, you eat all of those first, you take out Hotness Boy, okay? From there, you work into the sweet snacks, get yourself a nice little mix, okay? You take down these three bags of M&Ms, you take down the four candy bars, you take down the grandma's cookies, the cream-filled grandma's cookies, and the Oreos, you eat the Starbursts, then you eat the Rice Krispie Treat. And then that leaves you with what you said. Three protein bars, three crackers, and three peanuts. And I think that's when the gauntlet begins. I think the I think the first the first two thirds of this challenge is really easy. The last third is difficult. I would take a different approach here. So we've got the pretzels, which is of course good. You've got like a bag of bugles up there. We all we all love a bag of bugles. So what I would do is I would kind of form a trail mix of sorts here. You got the pretzel bag. You got obviously a ton of peanuts. You got some M&Ms, Cheez-Its. I would kind of form a a little trail mix there. Just kind of combine everything into one. Good snacking option so you don't feel like you're, you know, eating too much of something at one time. Then you can attack all the chips and then you hit that corner of death down there. But you're minus the peanuts at that point. So then you're just cooking with the protein bars, the uh, the chocolates, and then just the crackers and the Rice Krispies. So I think that if you take the peanuts out of the equation, it might be doable. Yeah. See, I, I could see that. I could see that. I think I think we're both underneath the same the same perspective that the chips are a no brainer. We could eat. You can eat a bag of chips in thirty seconds. I mean, we could take down some chips. They don't even really fill you up. I could eat a whole entire family-sized bag of Doritos. So those definitely don't fill you up. Um, so I think we're both under the impression that the chips are uh, the chips are an easy selection here. They're an easy get for you. But that bottom left-hand corner and the candy bars could be a, uh, could be a difficult situation for us. That being said, I, I am not sure I could get it done in my current state. I'd have to be really hungry. You know, if I went into work and I'm like, you know what, I'm starving. And I can put like half of this challenge out in the first hour. I think it's probably attainable. But, you know, if you get me on a normal day, not going to work hungry, you know, it'd be hard. That's tough to do in eight hours. It's a whole lot of empty calories. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that so, uh, I think genuinely I'm uh, I could have been a competitive eater. I feel like I could I could definitely do this. I think I could get out of this. Just I the know. glizzy gobbler over there. I know our, uh, I know our good friend Reed Roloffs could definitely eat this. This guy could eat, um, this guy can eat two boxes of pasta in one sitting. So he could definitely do this challenge. It's a no brainer. He could double the food and eat it in half the time. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. That a, man hoovers up food. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible that he's not five hundred pounds in his in his weight. <laughs> He should literally be on the TLC like my 600-pound life. That should be Reed Roloffs. Yes, yes. It's I'm almost jealous. Well, I'm almost jealous about it. I won't tell you. Uh, I wish yeah. I was. Uh, wish I was fortunate like that. So. It's got to be a metabolism thing or something. Yeah, has to be. Has to be metabolism. Well, let's get into this top five graph, Grayson. Um, top five players who are retired, but quote he could still play if he needed to draft. So. Um, we of course have not done the, uh, the coin flip yet since there's only two of us, I'll avoid the numbers since, uh, since I can't get, I can't guess the number right anyway. So 
we're just going to go straight into the coin flip here. Would you like heads or tails? Tails never fails. 17 and 0. Got to be 18 and 0. Here we go with the flip. Oh, get bent. Heads. That's absolutely beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. See, and I'm not even sure the first pick is the one I would want here, but that's fine. We'll take it. Number one pick for me. Let's not waste any time here. Rob Gronkowski, a guy who probably shouldn't have retired anyway. That dude could still absolutely play. So we'll take Gronk and uh, and run with the first pick. Yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that's a I think that's a really good pick there. Um, in my in my two slot, or my one slot and my two slot. Uh, give me a give me Luke Keekley, number one pick. An absolute student of the game, retired well before his prime. Um, yeah, didn't want to didn't want to suffer any more head injuries. So it's respectful of him. And then in my two slot, give me Megatron. Give me Calvin Johnson. An absolute unit of the game. He's a beast. Um, definitely should not have retired early in age, but great player nonetheless. Yep, I was going to go there. I was going to go there with my pick. So unfortunate that I couldn't get that. Um, Let's go into my second spot here. We'll stick with the receiver route. I'm going to take Chad Ochocinco. Have you seen that dude lately? That dude is still just an absolute specimen. That dude could absolutely still play 20 snaps if he needed to. 100%. I agree. And then option number three for me gets a little bit weird. Um, you know, I don't want to load up on football guys, but it feels like there's a lot of them that retired or early that could still be playing like to this day. But for me, I'm going to stick. I'm going to go to baseball here and a real interesting one. Ken Griffey Jr. Still looks like he could swing the bat and pinch hit for you. I'm going to take the kid. I think he can still go pinch hit. Gets you about 20 knocks a year on about 60 plate appearances. Smooth 330 batting average. I, I can still see it. I'm, you know, Ken Griffey was not on my list. That is a great pick. Um, you had me really nervous when you said baseball. Um, and that's why I think that you're probably thinking in a similar direction to me now and that I have to take baseball here. Um, yeah, in my three spot, give me uh, respect too, baby. Give me Derek Jeter. Uh, dude can absolutely still ball right now. You could put him on any baseball diamond. He's still the best player on the team. Um, yeah, give me give me Derek Jeter in my three. And then in my four spot, you know, you've seen the commercial. You've seen everything you need to see. Give me Terrell Owens. I think T.O. could still ball. I think he's still a man. I think he could still go up and dominate in the league right now. So, yeah, give me, give me T.O. That was a good pick. He was on my list. Um, I'm going back to football here. I'm going to take Greg Olson, who, of course, you know, rumored to still be working out as recently as last year. Now he's up in the booth at Fox with little baby KK. So uh, I still think he could go play if he needed to, though. Maybe not a full on starting tight end, but I think he'd go give you 30 snaps any given game. So Greg Olson up there in the booth with little baby KK Kevin Burkhart in, in the Fox booth. I will take him in my number four, which brings me to my number five. And it's an interesting one here because I wanted to go with basketball, but I really wouldn't know who to even pick. Like 
there's so many guys who are still playing. Like Vince Carter was like old by the time he was done. I know he was like half man, half amazing, but he was old by the time he was done. So I'm not sure he could still play anymore. And then like I saw Dirk up close and personally his last year. You saw him as well. Like that dude was practically taking a walker up and down the floor. So not sure he's an option there. I think I'm going to have to go back into football here. And I'm going to go the kicker route. I'm taking Adam Vinatieri who was just an absolute machine. If there's any position that could just go forever, I think it's kicker. I hope that Justin Tucker graces us with a 25-year career. I think Vinatieri could still kick. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think he could too. Uh, Yeah, you know, you talked about basketball players. You had me on the edge of my seat. I surely thought you were going to take him. I thought you were thinking about the 43-year-old, six Chinese man. Give me Yao Ming. He could absolutely still ball right now. Dude is an absolute menace. He's a motivational speaker now. Um, yeah, this dude could ball right now if he wanted to. Not very many guys are gifted with the grace of being seven foot six. So give me Yao Ming in the five. That dude is so freakishly tall. That's the only way he could still do it, but... Yeah, he's been retired forever now, but mm-hmm. he was truly before his time, Meow. Yeah. And I can't believe, I thought he was going to be way old, older than 43. I was like, 43? Wow. Yeah, he definitely still ball. You know, oh, there's, yeah. There's no way he can. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, honorable mention list. I'm surprised J.J. Watt didn't get mentioned, but, you know, it felt like cheating. He just recently retired. You know, I feel like there needs to be a waiting period there, like, What's stopping him from going and signing with the Texans tomorrow for a playoff run? Like nothing. So same with Tom Brady. Like he already retired once. What's to say he won't come back again? I think uh, Andrew Luck as well could definitely come back and still play. Drew Brees could definitely come back and still play. Um, You know, this might be kind of a stretch but I think Ray Lewis still looks like he's in his prime every single time I see him on the press conference. He looks like he could still play. Still probably a psychopath, so I'm sure he could still play. Um, hey, Bo Jackson was on my list, so you you weren't far off there. Hey, Herschel Walker was on my list, but I felt like it was a stretch. He's 60, so I mean, you never know. But he's, he's, he's in too great busy shape. trying to run for Congress these days. Yeah, no joke. And then uh, last honorable mention on my list, uh, Pat McAfee. Um, Pat yeah. could definitely still ball. I mean, Steph could still ball. Yeah, I could see that. Um, on my list as well, uh, Alex Rodriguez. Just saw a lot of him doing post game on Fox. The dude still looks like he could play a little bit. Um, beyond that, I think we kind of touched them all here. Pretty, uh, pretty solid list that we made there. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. There's not much in. I feel like basketball is such a longevity sport. I feel like those guys play forever. It's kind of uh, kind of hard to touch on guys. that. I feel like if you stop playing basketball, it's because the league's caught. It's not that the league's caught up to you age-wise. It's because the league's caught up to you skill-wise. You know, Shooters that can't do anything else and their shot starts to go away. and yep. Especially it's like the, the guys with bounce, like, Russell Westbrook, who once he kind of lost a step and lost his balance, he's been just 
sort of just bouncing around the league a little bit, just hasn't been able to find a home. Like that's how you get aged out. It's the, you know, the, the league catches up to you. You lose a step, you lose some bounce. You didn't have anything else to lean on. You can't shoot. And then, then you're just out. Like nobody will sign you. Yeah. You have to drive to the lane and Jokic is there. or Giannis is there. Or, yeah. It's a, uh, Probably not ideal to uh, be a guy that you're basically built on being able to out athleticism people, and now you're playing against guys that are seven foot tall that are just as athletic as you. So it uh, yep. it stops becoming an advantage because the league catches up quick, and I'm sure oh, Wimby yeah. will be the uh, Wimby will be the same way soon enough that he'll be as athletic as those guys are. He's 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 a really good player, but he's you know got a little bit of time in the league. Let him uh, let him get molded. Develop the skill a little bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Good pod there. Uh, one quick shout out before we go. Shout out to our boys at uh, SNU football. Six win year. Hopefully they can sneak into a bowl if somebody uh, declines an invitation ahead of them. But I know I was telling Grayson this before the pod. So we believe in SB plus here, which basically like objectively ranks teams, just metric wise and things like that. When we got to SNU my freshman year, we were like 150th in SP plus just there's 165 like D two teams. We were awful, man, just awful. And this year when they finished, they were 62nd in SP plus a bona fide, like top half D two team, just an incredible turnaround. Shout out coach Hada gauge, all the guys who stuck it out and kind of molded that group into what they were. Just, just incredible stuff. Just, couldn't be prouder of our uh, of our school there. Yeah, we're really hoping uh, they get one of these bowl games. If they do, good chance they play December second in Corsicana. So that could be uh, could be an interesting one. They uh, probably get a good matchup against one of these Lone Star teams. I would probably be guessing it'd be Texas A and M Kingsville. So we're uh, we got our fingers crossed. Uh, usually, Wachita doesn't take. Southern Arc pulls one and we pull the other and we're, we're ready to roll. So. Then we're GT Counter live on location from Corsicana. Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. Oh, absolutely. You know it. So that'll do it for this episode. We will be back with you Thursday for the weekend precap, an exciting weekend of ahead of us. But until then, be the man in the arena. Go make some money. And we will see you next time. Peace out, everybody.